0: You ready? You know what to do.
1: Welcome back to the Showtime Movie Podcast. As always, I am your host, Show, and a bit of a new intro for you there. I, the Super Bowl was yesterday, so I kind of took, took some clips from the Super Bowl. I try and collect more Showtime clips, like as many as humanly possible, and sometimes I write them down and remember, and sometimes I don't. Like, there was a really great one from Frasier that I watched a couple of weeks ago that I just, I, I just didn't write it down right away, and then forgot, and... Now it's lost to the annals of Frazier until I do my rewatch like next year or something like that. Anyways, that was from the Super Bowl yesterday, the Chiefs beating the 49ers. But on today's podcast, we are going to talk about the Oscars. I love the Oscars. You guys know that. My favorite time of the year. It's really the favorite time of anyone who likes movies because you get to celebrate movies. You get to talk about the actors and the films and the writers and all the different things. Now, yes, before we get into everything, I know it's not necessarily about the best films. It's about the best campaigns. You know, I I get that. I totally do. But at the same time, I think based on what we've seen so far, the various other awards, the Golden Globes, the Screen Actors Guild Awards, the Producers Guild Awards, the Directors Guild, the Writers Guild, the Critics' Choice the BAFTAs, all that stuff, right? All those things have happened. We take into account all of the results and we build our predictions based off of that. So given that, I'm making my predictions with the help of my friend, Quentin Amundsen, fellow film aficionado. Went to school with Quentin. We've always been able to chat about movies. You've heard his voice on this podcast before. These last two years, we talked about the Oscars together. So I am very pleased to be joined by my friend Quentin right now to discuss the Oscars. And, you know, man, I'm really happy we get to do this every year. The Oscars are, I think, the Super Bowl of the film world, which I think is appropriate considering the Super Bowl was yesterday. So now that the Super Bowl is done, we we can safely move on to talking about our favorite films.
0: How lucky are we that we get two Super Bowl weekends in a row technically? <laughs> next way. Um, you know, the expedited schedule means everything is kind of crammed together, but I love it. It's just been a kind of a marathon, well, not really a marathon this year, but a big sprint towards the finish line, and uh, next Sunday is going to be very exciting. It's true. It's, it's funny
1: you mentioned that, actually, before we get to the actual awards, because I feel like we heard last year that they were going to move up the Oscars by a couple of weeks and I personally love it because now you get these two big events especially if you're a sports fan if you're not a sports fan you're not watching the Super Bowl anyway so I mean I suppose it doesn't really matter but for you and I who are sports fans it's kind of cool that you get to watch the Super Bowl the Oscars and then you kind of get to just relax as the I guess blockbuster season gets started in
0: about a month I suppose and it's good enough for us and you know who else it was good for Tom Hanks it was his idea he pushed the academy to move up the Uh, a ceremony a couple weeks earlier. So if it's good enough for Tom Hanks, I'm glad to
1: have it a little bit earlier. (laughs) Fair enough. Well, spoken, Quinton. Okay, let's get into the Oscar pick. So for the listeners, I wanted to change it up a little bit this year. So we're going to split the Oscars kind of into three segments. So the Oscars we're going to talk about right now in this segment are Best Documentary, Sound Editing, Sound Mixing, Makeup Hairstyling, Costume design and production design. So a lot of the... I I feel like it's unfair, Quentin, but I feel like these Oscars often, I think, get overlooked. I mean, we heard that discussion, I want to say, earlier last year in, in 2019 about how they were considering putting sound editing and sound mixing together into one award, which I feel like is unfair because... It, I feel like for the the general people who watch your average movie goer, let's say, they, they won't necessarily be able to differentiate between sound editing and sound mixing, and I feel like that really discounts a lot of the hard work that these filmmakers really go through.
0: Oh, absolutely, and remember, the sound categories were temporarily going to be presented during a commercial break. There was that right. really stupid idea that they were going to remove four categories. Thankfully, they came to their... But yeah, it's these categories are easy to overlook. But I mean, there's some uh, really compelling races, particularly the sound races, because there's kind of a two horse race there. Uh, that we'll maybe discuss uh, during the segment between the big war film and the big uh, Ford vs. Ferrari, the big loud car races. This is probably the best sound race we've had in a long time. It's true. Let's start there then, because I feel
1: like 1917 is where I personally am leaning for both of these awards, because I feel like a lot of people, when they make their votes... Sound editing and sound mixing—they kind of just check the box for for a movie in both categories, if that makes sense, right? Like they'll they won't necessarily be like, "Mm, okay, nineteen seventeen for one, and four V Ferrari for another. I know that it's not that that never has never happened, but at the same time, it does kind of feel like it will be
0: one of those movies to win both. If that makes sense. Absolutely. These Oscar voters don't know what they're voting for in these categories. They have no idea what the difference is between sound editing and sound mixing. It's just easier to kind of rubber stamp one film. And the war film usually gets that uh, uh, favoritism in these categories. And I just think 1917 is so beloved. It's just really running hot on all cylinders. So I think it's just going to be an easy couple of check marks for the voters to give both categories in 1917.
1: So uh, I and so you're gonna which one if you could pick if you if you could go outside of all the Oscar voters if you had to decide yourself on what you think
0: deserved to win which one would you go with? I do think for uh, sound mixing uh, it's very impressive the landscape that 1917 was able to create with the. Uh, you know, the bombs dropping from the sky, but the sound editing um, and the way that the film was put together and incorporating sound into the shooting, I wouldn't do the split. I would give Ford vs. Ferrari um, one, but I just don't see a split happening this year. I hope that it is, though.
1: Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I don't, I don't see a split happening. I was just looking it up, I think, in 2018, or pardon me, in 2017, uh, Arrival won Best Sound Editing and Hacksaw Ridge won Best Sound Mixing. Uh, which i find really interesting because it's kind of the kind of the same thing we got a war movie that won best sound mixing and then we got a, kind of another very unique movie that won sound editing one one thing about 4V Ferrari cuz i feel like it's a, it's going to be a movie we won't talk about that much once we get out of this segment if that you know if that, if that's fair to say because i feel like it, it it was a when it came out at tiff it felt like 4V Ferrari was kind of the uh, maybe a maybe a bit of a dark horse, perhaps. Before any of the awards happened, it seemed like it could have been a dark horse for Best Picture. And then as the as the awards season has gone on, as all the campaigning has continued, it seems that Ford v Ferrari has really fallen off, which is a bit of a shame because I, I genuinely enjoyed that movie, and I and I, I genuinely think that one of the best aspects of Ford v Ferrari is the sound mixing and editing, because one of the things that really stood out to me, Quentin, it was that was that the the cars they all had their own throaty roars right like it almost felt like every single car that the two main characters were working on and all of their crew members and whether it was in the pit or it was on the racetrack or whatever they were testing it out whatever you know all of them sounded unique which i think is crazy because if i can if i can detect that i feel like anyone else can certainly
0: and those guys like ken miles and carol shelby played by Beeman and Bale were talking about the personality of the cars, like really giving all the cars their individual TLC and you really get a sense that, that there is that love. And like you said, there is an individual character to all these cars and it is a shame because you don't really see these old-fashioned, big blockbuster crowd-pleasers anymore uh, like Ford versus Ferrari. It's kind of a throwback and I am really shocked how much momentum it lost during the course of the race because yeah. I thought it really maybe could have pushed for a win like three months ago, but it just died. It just really barely stuck into the best picture category and the uh, technical categories too.
1: James Mangold I think is definitely one of my favorite directors alive today. I mean definitely you can you look to people like Steven Spielberg and and Mendez of course and you look to all these very very talented people but I feel like James Mangold sometimes gets overlooked. 310 to Yuma, one of my favorite remakes I think of all time, but I know John John Wayne, hard to overlook him obviously with the original but uh but yeah, I I, I love uh, I love Mangold's work and I really liked Ford v Ferrari. Okay, so that was the sound editing, sound mixing. Best documentary is one that really fascinates me because you got to think that not a lot of people who watch the Oscars have seen all the best documentary movies. And I got to see them at TIFF. Some of them were playing at TIFF and I admit some of them I I watched by perhaps uh, uh, less than legal means, which I I try not to do, but it's it's not always uh, possible to watch all the best documentary movies, you know, whether it's on Netflix or whether they're on uh, in theaters or what have you. But I feel like the favorite right now is American Factory, but I, I leave it up to you to tell me if that's correct or if that's incorrect.
0: Uh, it absolutely is because it has won at the Producers Guild, and it's a story that uh, definitely is universal, even though it's American Factory, because it really delves into the value systems of China and America, it really explores that rivalry in the workplace in a very compelling way. Uh, plus, Barack Obama and Michelle Obama are executive producers, that helps a lot.
1: So, okay, are you saying that the uh, Obamas will accept an, o- an Oscar if uh, <laughs> if it wins?
0: Um, well, they are the executive for me, <laughs> so they'll probably <laughs> see the spotlight to the uh, directors. But, I mean, they uh, filmed the interview video with the directors um, on the day that the uh, documentary came out on Netflix. So you can just tell they have uh, weight behind this project, and the Obamas are loved in Hollywood. So I think that will give it a little boost, but mainly the subject matter Like, for Sama, won yesterday at the BAFTAs, but it was because it was a British documentary. Right. I just think now that it's the American um, Motion Picture Guild, it's going to be the American film Triumph thing.
1: Yeah, I think it's I think it's fair too. And I like your point about the Obamas being beloved in Hollywood because we know Hollywood is generally a little left of center, if not more more than a little perhaps is a better way of saying it, but you know, if 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 the Obamas are involved when it comes to campaigning, not that they're necessarily going around knocking on people's doors saying, "Hey, please please uh vote for American factory," but at the same time, that definitely I think is an is an under-discussed under boost that goes into it. Because you and I both know, and everyone knows who loves the Oscars, that it's not always about... I mean, American Factory was really good, but it's not always about what the best movie is or best piece of film is. It's about who campaigns the best, right? And I feel like for American Factory, if you have the Obamas on your side, that, they certainly can't hurt.
0: Maybe a dark horse could be Honeyland, because it was uh, nominated in both the international feature... Um, for Macedonia and also the documentary film. So maybe if voters see both of the, so it, it in both categories, they'll be like, hmm, wow, maybe I should give it a little bit of love since it was able to make both categories. That's right. the only film I could see mounting an upset. All right, we'll keep an eye on Honeyland
1: as well for a potential upset. The other three Oscars I wanted to touch on in this segment before we move on were uh, makeup, hairstyling, costume design, and production design, which I find very interesting. I feel like makeup and hairstyling this year is a lock for Bombshell, though.
0: Absolutely. It was uncanny and kind of unsettling how much uh, Charlize looked like Megan Kelly. And usually when you have a transformative performance where somebody is really looking like a famous person, Usually a makeup nomination and a win kind of comes along for the ride. You kind of saw that with Gary Oldman playing Winston Churchill a couple of years ago.
1: That's right. Yeah, that's right. I almost forgot about the uh, Gary Oldman thing. I, I, I kind of agree with you, though. I, it was a little creepy. Like, unsettling is a good word, but I, I was watching and I, I thought to myself, this is really good. She does look like Megan Kelly, but on the flip side, Charlize Theron is such a good actress that I don't really know
0: that you needed the prosthetics, if that makes sense. Oh, no, like she just really was able to study Megan's face and somehow present it in a very similar way. Yeah, Charlize is probably one of the best actresses alive right now. Uh, And it's a very impressive uh, performance. And the makeup uh, certainly does deserve uh, credit because they also did a good job with John Lifko as uh, Roger Ailes. Yeah, he
1: was great too. It's it's easy to forget because obviously the the main the main event is Charlie Theron as Megan Kelly. But yeah, so uh, Lithgow was great as Ailes as well. Uh, he, it kind of reminded me of when he played um, Winston Churchill in The Crown, the Netflix TV show. Uh, like it, oh, I know I, I know it wasn't the, the same thing, but you know what I mean. It kind of like it was a kind of evocative
0: of that. Yeah, absolutely. And you uh, know, and also even at the composite characters, it's just really excellent makeup work.
1: Yeah, no, it was it was it was really fascinating to watch. I I don't know that I like the movie in a lot of other fac- uh, facets. I, I suppose, but the makeup hairstyling, especially the makeup aspect of that, was absolutely terrific, no doubt. Uh, the last two in this category here: best costume design and best production design. Now, I feel like both of these. I'm going Little Women for costume design and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for best production design. But I feel like. I would not be surprised to see maybe two movies win in each of these categories over those two.
0: Oh, yeah, certainly. I would say that uh, there certainly is uh, racism in both of those categories, kind of 1917 versus Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I just think that the uh, Academy voters will not be able to resist uh, the sequence, you know, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where you see those neon lights of old Hollywood establishments in 1969. You know, they kind of swoon over it. And there is definitely passion for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And they will want to reward it in a category other than just Brad Pitt. So this would be a good place for it. And then, uh, you know, for Little Women with costumes, uh, it just looks like a classic type of uh, work that's uh, led to many Oscars in the past. The period drama in the uh, 19th century. We've seen so many films over the course of the Academy Awards history get nominated And uh, Little Women, uh, well, there will be a desire to give that film a win in a category. I I think screenplay will be a little bit tougher. We'll talk about that later. But I think uh, certainly the BAFTA gave that Little Women boost yesterday, and I think it'll carry over to an Oscar one, too.
1: All right. There you go. So those are the kind of first segment Oscars we've decided to start with. I, I did really enjoy Little Women. One, I think... Oscar in the costume design category that or a film that wasn't even nominated for an Oscar that I thought could have been and maybe even possibly deserved to win was Knives Out. I really loved the costume design in Knives Out and I feel like there is a um, there is a uh, maybe a bias towards like you said those period pieces and don't get me wrong those things are great and it's really fun to see these these talented costume designers recreate costumes of the past with what they have today. Like that's all I love that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I also loved the costumes in Knives Out.
0: I think it was absolutely ridiculous as well that Dolomite is my name wasn't nominated yeah, here. Another one. Like that's ridiculous. Like the work that Ruth Carter did and designing those outrageous uh, pref- uh, costumes that Rudy Ray Moore wore. I mean, that, that film was able to win uh, the cost of design at the critics' choice. It's just that Slicks had too many films on the race this year, and Dolomite just kind of got forgotten, but it should not have been forgotten here.
1: No, I totally agree. It was it was a very interesting movie. I watched it finally uh, when it became available on Netflix after a couple of weeks, and it was it was it was funny but it, it was very vibrant it just kind of popped off the screen it was just so much fun to watch right and i just I, I am a little a little disappointed that it didn't get a little more recognition in the same vein as knives out in the same vein as uncut gems which didn't get a single oscar nomination right but at the same time you know again we like we mentioned before we know a lot of it is down to campaigning and maybe a little bit of bias when it comes to things that the oscars quote-unquote like like war movies or movies about hollywood or, or What have you You know what I mean Absolutely The next little bit Of Oscars I wanted to Touch on with you Quentin So these next ones I think we have Seven Oscars here Best Cinematography Best Film Editing Best Original Score Best Original Song Best visual effects, best animated feature, which I'm really fascinated by. This is, I feel like this is the first race in a long time where a Disney movie isn't necessarily a lock. Like I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second, but I find it really interesting. And best international feature, which I apparently recently renamed, I guess. It was best foreign feature, and now it is best international feature.
0: Yeah, that was a change they made like a couple months after the uh, Oscars uh, a year ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, there's always weird names, uh, differentiations. Like the BAFTA award is best film not in the English language and Oscars is best international feature. They put their own little flavor with the name of that category. Why don't we start there then? Because
1: I feel like that might be the easiest one to get out of the way. Best international feature. It definitely seems like this is just Parasite's award to lose. I mean, Parasite is a dark horse at this point for best picture. Maybe, even, maybe not even a dark horse. Maybe it's, just, it's, it's in the two-horse race even. Maybe a better way of describing it for best picture. But we'll talk about that in a sec. But even if it doesn't win best picture, it certainly seems as though it is a lock for this award.
0: It's a slam dunk. You just watched that clip at the SAG Awards of everybody giving a standing ovation to the actors when they came on stage just to introduce the clip. Yeah. Like the love is so huge. Um, The only film that had kind of a modicum of passion was the one that wasn't even nominated. France chose to nominate uh, Les Miserables instead of Portrait on a Lady on Fire. You know, you and I are on Twitter and the only foreign film that kind of had that Twitter buzz was Portrait on a Lady on Fire. Obviously, it would have never beaten Parasite, but I don't think France did itself any favors. Why uh, not? putting that film in the race to maybe uh, make it a little bit more compelling. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's
1: it's true. They probably didn't make themselves a lot of favors there. I think Portrait of a Lady on Fire was was absolutely fantastic. But at the same time, it, it would have been hard, I think, for any movie to match up the Parasite, both in quality and in terms of the momentum Parasite has gained, right? Because I feel like when, when the nominations came out, Uh, It's it certainly seem. I think by odds, even if you go, even if you go away from all the things on film Twitter, like you mentioned, and you go away completely from that, I feel like, you know, I I feel like the the odds themselves, which are of course set by Vegas. Once upon a time in Hollywood was the odds on favorite when the Oscar nominations came out, and then I think the next one was nineteen seventeen. They weren't again. They weren't that far apart, but it was. It's shocking to see how much has changed in the span of just. A month, essentially.
0: Yeah, like Oscar nominations came out January 13th, and I mean, the day before the nominations, it was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood winning the Critics' Choice Award. Right. And it's like, okay, well, they did well at the Golden Globes. This is Tarantino's time, but the narrative has really changed.
1: Best international feature, Parasite Slam Dunk, and we'll see what uh, what Parasite will contribute in other categories as well. I have a feeling it'll, it'll win a couple of other Oscars as well, uh, hopefully <clears> some <throat> of the bigger ones. But I think um, let's, let's actually move on to best cinematography because I also feel like you know it's, it's not like we have to spend a lot of time talking about the slam dunks because I, I find it more interesting personally to talk about the ones that are a little, a little contentious, right? Uh, because you never yeah. know. Th- those are kind of toss-ups, but cinematography... It's interesting to me because it it feels like Roger Deakins is going to win for 1917. And even though, you know, maybe you could give this to The Lighthouse, for example, which was very interesting and ambitious. But Roger Deakins put together something in 1917 that I feel like I hadn't really seen before. It captured my attention from beginning to end. And it's crazy to think that he could win again after spending so much of his career not winning prior to Blade Runner.
0: And, you know, he had like 13 nominations uh, without a win, and then he finally broke through. I hope he does kind of go on on a bit of an avalanche of winning, because he certainly deserves uh, that, um, you know, praise. After so many times, he was always seemed to be the guy in second place, but now he's breaking through. And, I mean, he is one of the greatest for... Uh, you know, a big reason. And in this film, it kind of seemed like he was doing that hold my beer type of thing. Like he <laughs> really was chopping himself, you know, like say, like, oh, yeah, you like what I did in uh, Blade Runner 2049. Look what I did this time. And it is outstanding. I really love the one shot approach. It wasn't a gimmick to me. It really ratcheted up the tension of 1917,
1: and, and I feel like it's it's not like I think anyone who watches that movie you, you can probably guess where some of the cuts were, but most of them are so seamless that it makes it it makes it so enjoyable to watch. And the couple of moments in that movie where there are cuts, like for example, that part where uh, Schofield gets like kind of hit in the face, or or he gets shot, I think, and he falls down the stairs and he hits his head on the stairs and he blacks out and it cuts the black right, and yeah. and then it, he wakes up. And it's like he's in hell. It's it, it, it's so I find it I find it so fascinating to watch, and I, and I think it's for that reason that 1917 holds your attention. Of course, the the directorial decisions and the acting and stuff, but the way it was shot via Roger Deakins was just it was just it was very pleasing. I find.
0: Yeah, it's going to be wonderful to see him uh, win again. Uh, he's just a very likable guy, and I just remember. You know, just feeling the fear, you know, like when, uh, you know, he was about to jump over the trenches and kind of go into enemy fire. You just really feel like you're that soldier. It's like, oh, my goodness, he he just jumps over the trench. A bullet could just come at him. A bomb could drop on him uh, without him knowing. Uh, The randomness of the horror of war was just so vivid, and it just really... Uh, had a big effect on me, and I'm sure it had a big effect on you and a lot of other people that saw it, too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, 1917 definitely feels like a slam dunk for Best Cinematography. Uh, best Film Editing, I, I feel like, again, we I mentioned before in the previous segment that I felt like Ford v. Ferrari had, you know, again, fallen off, and you kind of agreed with me, and it, it didn't. it's probably not going to get a lot of award recognition at the Oscars, but I do feel like this is a spot where it could win, now I'm I'm gonna I'm just gonna go ahead and and pick that as as my as my choice for film editing. But I don't know if you have a different one.
0: I know it is the presumptive choice because it is the film with the most editing. But I have to believe that this passion for parasite is going to transcend into other categories. And I just think that the editing, uh, if you want to be a film that's able to juggle so many different tones and be genre bending in a very provocative way, you need excellent editing and Parasite had that. I think the editing really enhanced the mood, and it was very instrumental in accentuating the shifts between outrageous comedy and, obviously, the dark thriller aspects Um I'm go- kind of going against the grain here, but I think Parasite could be a surprise winner here.
1: Okay, so you're going to pick Parasite. I like that one. Parasite, oh, yeah. we talked before in the international feature one that Parasite, the love for that movie, is, is very palpable. It's going to it's gonna bleed through in a lot of different categories. It, even if it doesn't necessarily win, I bet a lot of the categories it was submitted in consideration for and ultimately got nominated for, it will be relatively competitive. Ultimately, you and I are not going to know just how competitive it is because we, everyone only gets to see the winners, including the Academy members, I think. But at the same time, yeah, I, I'm going to go with Ford v. Ferrari. Also, a quick note on that movie. Did you know that overseas, it, it's not called that? It's called Le Mans 66?
0: Oh, yeah. like, uh, I, And I love the international uh, posters, you yeah. know, the Le Mans 66 logo. And uh, yeah, that uh, brand over there is just so strong. So they really just wanted to kind of draw those foreign vo- um, foreign box office uh, theaters to the uh, theaters, and you know, kind of changing it to the month sixty six was kind of the best way to do it. And uh, yeah, it's pretty cool that uh, two radically different titles.
1: When I was uh, when I was kind of doing some research on on the, our our chat today. I was uh, I I noticed that some of the, some people refer to it as Le Mans 66, and I'm like, is this a documentary about the same thing? And then I realized that they just re- renamed it. and I think it makes sense, right? I mean, you got to think that overseas, not a lot of let's for, Ford cars are probably sold. Like you got to imagine that most Fords are sold in. North America I would imagine right and if the le mans name has such a cachet overseas you might as well use it especially where i feel i feel like this movie is about american ingenuity overcoming european arrogance almost right and that's or at least that's how it's presented and i feel like if that's what the uh, european audiences felt they were getting in the name for be ferrari then they might not be inclined to see it is that fair to say <laughs>
0: I agree with you, and you know, the good thing for Ford vs. Ferrari, their strategy was, I mean, it was a film that was a bit of a box office smash overseas, kind of uh, getting hundreds of millions to go along with a really good return here, so I think that two different titles really paid off for them.
1: All right, so let's move on to the uh, last four in this kind of subcategory we have created for ourselves. So, best original score, best original song, visual effects, and animated feature are what remains. Uh, Let's do original score and song. Now, I feel like Again, another slam dunk pick based on the lead up to the Oscars. And especially last night, we saw the BAFTAs. Joker seems like the uh, presumptive favorite in original score. I, uh, I leave it up to you if you want to be brave enough to, to try and uh, pronounce this woman's name. I, I feel like it would be disrespectful of me to do it because I'm totally going to butcher it. But if she does win, I feel like she's going to be, become the only the second woman from Iceland to ever win an Oscar.
0: Uh, I am also going to avoid butchering the name too, but I will say Hilda. Uh, we'll say yes, her first name. Hilda. Sure. Um, I just think that uh, along with Joaquin's performance, I think the score was the most celebrated aspect of Joker, and I just think it's a a slam dunk. I mean, the only way uh, Hilda loses is if the love for 1917 is so strong, uh, and it wins Best Picture, and it kind of takes Tom and Newman along for the ride. I mean, the problem is that you don't have the names of the composers on the ballot. If maybe they saw Thomas Newman's name on the ballot, they'll be like, "Hmm." you know, Thomas Newman's been nominated so many times and he's never won. Let's give it to him this time. But the names are not on there. So it's really the quality of uh, work in the film and uh, Hilder's score is the best.
1: I think that's a good point, too. And I, I, I kind of prefer it that way, honestly. Look, I kind of prefer it for them to, th- just to look at the name of the film, think of the music and say, that music, I like that music better than I liked this or another film's music, right? I, I, I feel like that makes it maybe stand on its own merit. And Joker's music was great. I mean, I admit I did not care for that movie in a lot of different aspects, but I loved Joaquin and I loved the, the music. And it, it, and I mean, at least right now, it seems like those are the two Oscars, or those are the two only Oscars
0: it's going to win. Really, hmm, absolutely. So it's uh, yeah, like you said, it's really it was able to temper that controversy. But uh, the eleven nominations that are respected by this, don't see them getting more than those two wins.
1: Yeah, I, I, t- I totally agree. Okay, best original song. This one I feel like is a little more up in the air. It's not quite as much of a slam dunk as some of the other ones we've talked about. So I, I feel like I'm just going to kind of throw a dart here and go with a movie I, re- I personally really liked, which was Rocket Man. I feel like Taron Egerton, and we know he won the Golden Globe in a comedy or musical, and he sang all the music himself, which was very impressive, maybe even doubly so impressive, considering you're kind of, you're kind of probably mentally comparing it to Rami Malkin in uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, for which he actually won the Oscar, and then you have Taron Egerton, who I feel like did a relatively better job, and he didn't even get nominated, right? So if they wanted to reward Rocketman in some way, I feel like the natural choice for a movie about Elton John, a famous singer, could be best original song.
0: And Elton and Bernie Taupin were so instrumental in the making of this film. They've just been uh, shepherding it along every step of the way. It really is a a big win for a film that I bet was pretty close to maybe cracking a lineup. If there was maybe uh, 10 or 11 Best Picture nominees, I wouldn't be surprised if Rock and Men was able to sneak through. I think it was close in a lot of categories. Um, the okay. one uh, dark horse is Cynthia Revo because okay. uh, she's kind of a Lady Gaga this year. She was nominated for Actress and nominated for Song. Um, if uh, Cynthia did her campaign right, Um, Maybe she'll be able to transmit to Oscar voters that if she wins the Oscar, she'll be an EGOT. She'll have the Emmy, the Golden Globe, the Oscar and the Tony, and she'll be the youngest person to accomplish that. If she's able to uh, get that message out effectively, uh, maybe they'll want to uh, uh, give her that award because that EGOT is a very hard thing to do.
1: And that song was great, stand-up. That song was absolutely fantastic. And again, if I really wanted to throw another dart, like we were using that analogy, I feel like the Frozen 2 song, Into the Unknown, which was really, really good. I mean, they, they, they kind of pushed another song or they kind of i feel like they could have pushed another song from frozen Two because I, I watched it recently and a lot of the music from that movie was very 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 good probably not quite on the same level as let it go in terms of how catchy it is but into the unknown was really good and toy story 4 i can't let you throw yourself away also very emotional i mean disney we we talk about campaigning disney knows how to campaign and i i while I do wonder if having two Disney songs in the same category hurt each other, essentially, as, as so many times we've seen that in, in many other races, like it probably contributed. I, while I feel like Brad Pitt was going to win that category of supporting actor anyways, I'm sure it was not helped. The Irishman was not helped by having both Pesci and Pacino in that same category. But to go back to Best Original Song, I, I, I really like those two songs as well, and I wouldn't be that
0: shocked to see either of them win. Yeah, it's a pretty good um, group of songs. Uh, I do think that considering Elton's near the end of his career, I know he's uh, continuing to engage in projects, but I know uh, his touring days are kind of close to being done. And there's just kind of been love and reverence for him as an entertainer. for It's got to be going on for 50 years now, and I think it's just going to uh, culminate in a big win. I, I I do hope so. I, I
1: do admit it. I hope so. Rocketman was very enjoyable, and it's this is probably going to be the only one it's going to win, it, or it's even possible for it to win, considering how many times it got nominated, which was, spoiler alert, not a lot. Uh, last two Oscars in this little category we've created here, Best Visual Effects and Best Animated Feature. Now, Best Visual Effects I find interesting. I, you've mentioned a number of times, Quentin, that 1917... The love for it will show in a lot of different categories, and I think it'll probably show here because, again, I think it is it is an aspect of visual effects we saw with the one cuts and the and the uh, the war. Like you know, we, the, it was a lot a lot was made of that clip. I'm sure you saw it on Twitter. It wasn't even just film Twitter. Everyone was retweeting this thing. It was that shot of when you see Schofield running towards the camera at the very end, as, like, the war starts to really break out, he's running kind of ahead of the trenches as soldiers are pouring out and things are exploding around him and stuff. And then there was kind of, on, on the bottom half of the clip, so you saw the top half was the part of the movie and the bottom half was how it was filmed. And you can see, like, a truck with the... With the uh, camera on in they're firing the explosives, and he's running, and he runs into an extra and stuff. It was it was very fascinating to watch because it kind of gives you a little bit of a peek behind the curtain. And I really liked that. I liked it a lot, although I feel like Best Visual Effects is always, to an extent, a toss-up based on the, whatever superhero movie comes out that year. So I guess what I'm saying is I think 1917 will win. But if something like Avengers Endgame won, I, I would not be that surprised.
0: I wouldn't be surprised either. The reason I think 1917 will win is also, I think there will be some uh, Academy of voters that will maybe look at Avengers and just be like, oh, yeah, another big pixelated war, uh, you know, at the end with a bunch of computer things. But then they're done that sort of with uh, Marvel films, you know. But, I mean, Avengers Endgame, it is great that it got the nomination. Um I mean, the one thing about the uh, Irishmen that really hurt their chances. I'm not too sure if you saw a Reddit user put out um, of their own version mm-hmm. of the the uh, aging effects, and some people think that it looks better, uh, certainly <laughs> with Robert De Niro. So that doesn't oh, yeah. help, and maybe some younger actors are also a little bit antsy of a film that uh, technology that will allow older actors to kind of maybe steal some plum roles from younger generations. Um, and, yeah, maybe we'll kind of get into it later, but it's staggering how uh, far the Irishman has fallen during the season.
1: Well, I mean, you, you know, I made no secret, uh, both on this podcast and to you personally, that uh, I, I did not super care for the Irishman personally. But uh, So I, I can't say I'm, I'm too upset, but it is, I admit, absolutely shocking to see how far the Irishman has come. Like, I, I honestly think... There's a possibility that the Irishman does not win a single Oscar, which is absolutely, you use the word staggering, perfect word for it, considering when it came out, like when it came out at like, the New York Film Festival, when it hit Netflix finally, when it was at the Lightbox here in Toronto, like all that stuff, when all that was happening, all the reaction to it was, in, was wildly positive wildly positive and now it's possible it won't win a single oscar i think that's crazy we'll get into that in the next segment though for sure because i want to wrap up on best animated feature now i think i mentioned off the top of this segment that this is the most fascinating oscar of this race to me personally because a i love animated movies b i think i loved all of the movies in this category i went out of my way to see i lost my body because i really wanted to just experience that because it looked so unique but Missing Link loved it. Toy Story Four really enjoyed it, but my favorite, and I hope this is the one that wins, is Claus or Klaus. I, I, I'm not sure which how how you pronounce it, to be completely honest. But let's say Claus. But it's uh, it was just so unique. The animating style was was a little different than you than you feel like you usually expect from a a big animated feature and you know it was very accessible of course. I'm sure a lot of people saw it because it was on Netflix. It came out at an ideal time right before
0: Christmas because that's what it's about. I don't know. I
1: just I really was captivated by that movie.
0: And it's the front runner. I mean like the film that usually wins the BAFTA uh usually has a strong correlation over to Oscars. And as somebody uh mentioned on this Gold Derby podcast that I listened to, which is a really good awards uh, site uh, one of their experts was talking about how Klaus may have gotten momentum during Christmas time, which is when a lot of these Academy voters sit down and watch screeners like Klaus is a Christmas movie. So people are maybe more inclined to turn on uh, Klaus on Netflix or have it uh, be kind of the Christmas entertainment to watch with the grandkids or the kids, and it maybe found some momentum when uh, during optimal uh, screening time. And I think it certainly has. Uh, some good evidence. I mean, it swept the ante. Toy Story 4 was completely shut out, which I'm not happy about. I love Toy Story 4. It was my fifth favorite movie of the year. Um, and it's. Uh, I really hope that Toy Story 4 squeaks out, but I, I can't be disappointed if it's close. Uh, ultimately gets the win because it's really great, too. For
1: this final segment... Like I mentioned before, the two big picture, uh, the two big nominations of the evening, Picture and Director, the four acting awards and the two screenplay awards. Now, I'll leave it up to you, Quentin. How much time do you want to spend on the four acting awards? Because I feel like it, it, it has not been for quite some time that we've seen the four uh, major kind of players. So, Joaquin Phoenix for Joker and The Actor Race. Renee Zellweger for Judy in the Actress Race, Brad Pitt for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in the Supporting Actor Race, and Laura Dern for Marriage Story in the Supporting Actress Race. It has been a while, I feel like, since all four frontrunners have won literally every single award. So, I'll, again, I'll leave it up to you. Do you want to talk about them
0: or do you want to move on to the other awards? <laughs> I will say one thing. Actually, two years ago, um, uh, there was the uh, same phenomenon. Like Francis McDormand, Gary Oldman, Sam Rockwell, Allison Janney, they were able to pull off a big sweep, you know, and this kind of go lockstep. Before that, uh, it, w- it had never happened before. But, you know, it's weird. Two times in the last three years, you have just these utterly predictable results. And um, instead of really touching on the races, I'll say, like, it staggers me. So, like, these are different bowling groups. Like, the Hollywood... Uh, foreign Press Association, they're different voters than the people that vote for SAG and then the people that vote for Critics Choice. Like, why did they all come to the same consensus? Why couldn't they have dared to do something different? Yeah, like Joaquin's going to win the Oscar, but why couldn't maybe the critics give some love to Adam Driver and uh, Antonio for their subtle performances? Um, like, it just it's really weird how everybody's just co-wrecking on these four names. Maybe the only category where people are kind of hedging and upset is supporting actress because right, Scarlett right. Johansson is nominated twice. And maybe they are like, Oh wow, Scarlett, two great performances. Maybe we should give her something. But I think if it wasn't, uh, her formidable challenger wasn't somebody as beloved as Laura Dern, I believe that there's a little bit of a chance, but like Laura is killing it. You know, she's big on big little lies. And uh was in little women and marriage story and she's been, uh, Academy royalty, you know, kind of born to uh, Diane Ladd and Bruce Dern, and she's been baby bandied as a potential president of the Academy down the road. I think if it wasn't Laura Dern that how was facing, maybe there'd be a shocker there, but it's going to be predictable.
1: Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. That's a good way of putting it. I think like, what, Phoenix, Zellweger, and Pitt are mortal locks for those three categories, and Laura Dern is the heavy, 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 heavy favorite, if not a lock, but I do think that that's probably the category that's most susceptible to an upset. And my my upset pick would probably be even Florence Pugh over Scarlett Johansson just cuz she was great in Little Women. She also had the kind of benefit of being in another critically acclaimed movie Midsommar which was really good. Uh you know, she's not that this will have an effect, but I mean, her star is definitely rising to the point where she's she's going to be one of the main characters in the next Marvel movie Black Widow. Not again, that doesn't have any effect on the Oscars, of course, but I just find it really interesting that that's the one category where we maybe right? And maybe there's an 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 inch of Greta Gerwig wasn't nominated for Best Director. Little Women's not going to win Best Picture. Maybe they reward Pew with a couple of votes. But even if that is the case, I agree with you. Dern is so beloved that I don't think even the nominal support that another actress gets is enough to upset her. But other than that, yeah, it seems that, like you mentioned, just like two years ago, it is going to be these major four actors winning their respective categories, which I think is great. I mean, I don't think anyone really has any complaints about the acting in any of those movies. I think the the complaints about that exist about any of those four movies have nothing to do with those four people.
0: No, I, I these are the four performances I would like to win Oscars. But I would have liked to see maybe a, a Bondi phone to Antonio Banderas. Like I really liked what he did in Pain and Glory. Or, You know, why not give Florence Pugh the bath yesterday because, you know, the hometown girl, and like you said, she killed it this year. Um, It would have been nice to have, like, a little bit of intrigue, but uh, these are the right four people that are going to be picking up Academy Awards on Sunday.
1: All right, four more Oscars to go, and let's do the Screenplay Awards now, because I think... You and know, I were talking about this when we were kind of prepping for the episode, that these perhaps are the two most interesting Oscars of the evening, because Best Picture and Best Director, I think, are heavily slanted one way. Sure, it's possible there are some upsets there. We'll talk about that in a sec, but Best Original Screenplay and Best Adapted Screenplay, I feel like have been... Like, even even though we've seen different winners, like, I'm just going to pull up the results here. So Parasite won Best Original Screenplay at the BAFTAs last night, and Jojo Rabbit won Adapted Screenplay as well. And then if you go back a couple of days ago, uh, the Writers Guild Awards, Parasite and Jojo Rabbit won Originals and Adapted as well. But I feel like it's important to note, no Tarantino at the Writers Guild Association. He's not a member of the Writers Guild Again, maybe there's going to be some makeup uh, makeup awards for Little Women because Greta Gerwig, again, not nominated for Best Director. It's not going to win Best Picture. We just talked about Florence Pugh and the Best Supporting Actress race. So this, to me, is the most fascinating race. I'm going to pick Parasite for Best Original Screenplay because, again, you said it. The love for this movie is palpable. They were applauded before just to present the movie, much less win it. They won Best Ensemble. If they don't win Best Picture, which, again, it's, it's a bit of a long shot, I feel like. I would love for it to win Best Picture, but it's a bit of a long shot. But often the Screenplay Awards feels like it's the biggest, okay, you didn't win Best Picture here's the screenplay award. So I feel like that's why I'm going to go with Parasite for original.
0: And I'm going to go with it as well. Uh, I know I said on Twitter in a brief little dialogue of you, I was maybe leaning towards Tarantino, but then WTA and BAFTA happened, and it's weird. WTA and BAFTA really never correlate. Only eight times since in the 21st century have those two uh, voting bodies agreed on the screenplay and original screenplay. Right. Um, and, Seven out of those eight times since 2000, when those two groups are in alignment, that screenplay goes on to win Best Picture. I love those odds. I'm going to go with it. Um, I mean, to win Best uh, Screenplay at the Oscars. I'm going to pick uh, Parasite in this case as well. And I just think the love for Bong is so um, uh, severe. Um, I don't know if Tarantino helped himself yesterday. Did you see the basket clip of uh, uh, Bong Joon Ho winning screenplay.
1: Yeah, I did, and he he looked very unhappy. Um, Tarantino, that is a very
0: bad scowl, and uh, yeah, that wasn't that wasn't a good look for Mister Tarantino. And I mean, Tarantino's won twice already, and um, he's been kind of complaining um, in different interviews that he wants to be more recognized as a director or for uh, best picture instead of getting another screenplay award. So maybe that sentiment has got out there too.
1: Yeah, it's definitely possible. I mean, I I I, I kind of think that. It, it it's kind of a two horse race between parasite and once upon a time in hollywood in that category but yeah i'm go i'm with you parasite is my winner there that movie was just absolutely sublime in so many ways in the in the adapted screenplay category another really fascinating race because again i feel like it's down to another two horse race between jojo rabbit which as we mentioned just won at the baftas and at the writers guild and little women now i i really think Little Women has a real shot of winning, even though Jojo Rabbit won the last two major awards over this past weekend, just because, you know, Little Women was so good and there was that backlash around Gerwig and and not getting nominated and in such a strong year for female helmed movies. But at the same time, it's hard to look past the results, right? It's, it's kind of like what you favor. Do you favor the results of this past weekend and before, or do you feel like Little Women you know, has been strong enough to win regardless?
0: And Little Women did win that USC Scripter Award, which is a pretty good precursor to have. that some kind of telling of uh, previous but, uh, I think people respect that. Uh, Greta Gerwig did not sulk when she wasn't on nominated. She just kind of kept marching on and was really a good cheery ambassador for little women, like it's very uh, wonderful to listen to interviews about her adapting um, the movie, like the timeline structure and finding a way to really honor Louisa May Alcott as she was um, in the nineteenth century. Uh, so I think she has some fans there, and uh, certainly she had an amazing cast, filled with big names such Nail Street and Mary Byrne, and those are very likable figures. Uh, in the acting branch, and the fact that they're praising Greta Gerwig so much, that can maybe translate into some favor. But I think that Jojo Rabbit was nominated by almost every guild, um, while Little Women had some big omissions. So I think that consensus is there for Jojo Rabbit.
1: I, I would agree with you. I think that's definitely... Uh, a big point in Jojo Rabbit's favor. I like that you mentioned the one other award Little Women won as well. Though I feel like it's definitely going to be down to these two. Like I, I remember seeing some people thinking that maybe The Irishman could win this award, but like I, like we were talking about before, The Irishman has fallen off in such a huge way that I feel like it's going to be like there. There was an aspect of of the Oscars this year where I thought that the two movies that would not win uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago the two movies that would not win a single oscar would be jojo rabbit and the irishman but i feel i feel like i'm going to go with jojo rabbit based on this past weekend's results otherwise i may have been swayed by little women which i i absolutely loved definitely one of my favorite movies of the year great to watch but ultimately i feel like jojo rabbit and hey look we know as well people's gross choice award here at tiff that's often a precursor towards the uh, awards as well so as you mentioned so i just i just feel like those are the ones I'm going to go with. Parasite little uh, Parasite, and Jojo Rabbit, pardon me. Little Women is definitely a an upset contender. Um, let's spend a couple of minutes here, Quentin, on the two biggest awards of the night, I feel like. Best Picture and Best Director. Now, Sam Mendes has won... I feel like every single best director award that is possible to win prior to the Oscars, including the Directors Guild Award, which I believe when when he won, I think I saw a stat which I really liked that the the this award, the Directors Guild Award winner for directorial achievement or whatever they call the award specifically, has predicted the award winner at the Oscar in Best Director category for the last five years. And so that kind of history, I know five years is not a long time, but at the same time, given how well-received 1917 is, how much of that reception is directed towards the director, and combine that with the DGA Award, I feel like Sam Mendes is as slam-dunk a pick as you can get at the Oscars this year.
0: And over those past five years, the directors that won that award were helming the technical achievement of the year, and 1917 is undisputably the technical achievement of the year, it's Uh, visually marvelous and it's amazing how he choreographed all these extras and uh, every single person at his command to create a product that really is kind of the best that cinema could do like this is a really great war film he affectionately created um like the horror of the first world war and i'm glad that the film's in the world because the first world war doesn't really get it due cinematically and it's a war that people really need to know more about uh, to know more about, and uh, Mendes did uh, an exceptional
1: job. And, and I think a lot of the, his love for this movie and for this period and, and wanting to do right by it and, and show that he was respectful of it was, I think, driven by his own family, right? Because I think we saw at the end of the movie, he, it was dedicated in part to, I believe his it was his grandfather, maybe it was his great-grandfather, but uh, it, that was really neat to see. And th- those kind of connections, I think, make your film better right like they they make you care more and in turn they make the viewer care more because you mentioned this earlier it was so riveting right you're on your edge of your seat at the whole time i watched it with my roommate who doesn't particularly care for these kind of war movies these kind of really serious gritty sad almost war movies when you see the scope of death and destruction that really happens when when people go to war in this in this fashion and he was on the edge of his seat, and we talked about it for days afterwards. And I think if you can reach someone like him who really does not care for it, you can reach a lot of people. And I think that's that's more impressive than I think we give it credit for.
0: And the movie does have that emotional core. People were really moved by it, and you mentioned you were, I certainly was as well. And, I mean, the fact that it's able to aspire that passion, and I think it's really good that they had that scene Um, You know where he's in the dark with that uh, young French lady with her baby. You know, able to find room for that sweetness in midst of all this uh, technical work. So they were able to check a lot of the boxes, and um, I just think that uh, Mendes is really well beloved, um, and people are probably um, very eager to bring him back because he has directed a lot of good things, but he hasn't been invited back to the Oscars party since uh, winning for American Beauty twenty years ago. So. I think people are very keen to uh, celebrate him again.
1: It's it's definitely been a long time for Sam Mendes. I I think, like we mentioned, probably the biggest slam dunk at this year's Oscars. All right, Quentin, Best Picture time. Who do you got? I feel like it it has now officially become a race between 1917 and Parasite. Is it possible that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood wins for Best Picture? It, It absolutely is. But I feel like the way things have shifted in this past month is that once Upon a Time in Hollywood is now perhaps the third choice, and it, it certainly seems like it is between 1917 and Parasite. So before I make my pick, I'll let you, you make your case for who you think will win Best Picture at this year's Oscars. I
0: think 1917 is going to win because the PGA plus the DGA is a very formidable combination. Usually when those two uh, voting groups are in alignment, that means great things because, I mean, that was what happened with Guillermo del Toro, Shape of Water. It's kind of made it a slam dunk there. Um, I will say, though, that Parasite is in a better position than Roma was uh, because uh, Parasite doesn't have the Netflix baggage. Some people were very anti-Netflix against Roma. And Parasite is this universal film that grabbed people at that opening scene, that great scene where... The family is hunting for a neighbor's Wi-Fi, trying to hack in. It's really funny, and it just grabs you and uh, makes you really care about this family. While Roma, on the other hand, people admired the film, but I read a lot of uh, print articles and also some videos where people were turning it off 20 minutes in because they didn't like how much mopping there was. They thought that Alisa LeAparicio was mopping up too much uh, dog poop, Uh, so... The fact that this film was a lot easier to get into and there is that love of the universal themes makes me think this has the best chance of pulling off that almost impossible feat of winning international and best picture. Uh, I'm making a case for it, and it could be um, a film that makes them look good, too. You know, eventually Academy remembers want to make a good statement to society from time to time. And. Uh, Parasite would be a very good win that would be celebrated by anybody. There'd be no controversy attached to it, I, but the I, stats don't lie.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a totally fair uh, argument for both films. Absolutely, I I think I'm going to go ultimately with 1917. That is definitely the safe pick. It, it is not a that's not that's not a bold pick by me or by anyone. I think it is the favorite at this point. Parasite, though, I I do think that Parasite was the most. The most, like the, maybe the most entertaining time I had at the movie theater in the past twelve months, if that makes sense. I I loved it from beginning to end. I can't remember a time where I sat in a movie theater, a crowded, packed, not a single seat empty movie theater, where every single person was on the edge of their seat. At a certain point, I don't want to spoil it because I mean I did an episode on Parasite earlier with Rob Wong, who works with me here at Sportsnet five ninety The Fan, but. And that was, that was a lot of fun to do because Rob and I were able to kind of dissect it in a lot of li- little ways. But for – I just – I don't know. I just – I loved how, how interesting it was. You used the word genre bending. It really does morph into something different right in the middle – The acting is tremendous. I would love for Parasite to win, but I feel like the momentum right now is behind nineteen seventeen. But I like your point about the no Netflix baggage. And you can probably also make the case for that being why the Irishman has fallen off so much. Maybe I like the idea of maybe younger actors not wanting older actors to come back and take their jobs with the de-aging stuff. Or if uh, Netflix stuff is 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 dragging it down or what, but crazy to say that The Irishman isn't even in contention. It's just not. It's almost not even worth discussing because we're at this point now where we're talking about the last Oscar of the night, and The Irishman probably is walking away empty-handed.
0: Yeah, it's uh, walking away empty-handed, and I know you're uh, maybe a little more fine about that. I loved it. It was my second favorite film of the year behind Parasite. I'm. Uh... I'm not happy that it's going up behind it, but you know what? The thing is that, uh, Parasite of 1917, uh, uh, whichever one wins, I'll be happy with. Obviously I'd prefer if Parasite wins because like you said, it was so entertaining. I can't remember a movie even maybe in the last three or five years where I've laughed so hard. Like it just had me roaring in my seat, howling with laughter. And I saw it again, actually last night for the first time since I saw it for the first time. And, I was laughing again. It just has really great rewatchability, so it'll be really interesting. If uh, Parasite has any chance, it needs to win the Screenplay Award. If it doesn't win Screenplay, it's over.
1: I agree with you. I totally agree with you. I think that'll be a... I mean, it's funny, too, because the Screenplay Award happens so... Uh, it happened so late in the show, so we won't know really what about Parasite's chances until probably that back half of the show anyways. But still, I, I totally agree. Screenplay will be a, a very big precursor to the Oscars. Quint and I are both going 1917, but Parasite... Obviously, it would be fantastic. Two great movies. All of the movies we saw this year, and I would say all of the movies nominated for Best Picture, maybe outside of Joker, not to slag that movie even more, but outside of Joker, I would say the other eight movies, I loved them all for and for different reasons, and they were all very entertaining, so I think this year's Oscars will be entertaining as well. Despite the fact there there's no host, uh, again, but still, I think this coming Sunday will be a, a fun time to watch because you're celebrating movies from the whole year that I think, for one reason or another, everybody seemed to love.
0: Yeah, and all of them really had something to say, too. And it's just going to be uh, very intriguing to see um, uh, which way these go, because it just seems like this year, compared to last year, there's more races up in the air, and that just makes for um, a more gripping show. Um, and I'm just... Uh, very eager to see um, if the second year of Postless Oscars would work. I mean, last year they had the advantage of having Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga staying shallow. I wonder what the big moment of this one will be. Uh, I guess we'll find out in a few days.
1: We'll find out in a few days. Quinton, I love chatting the movies with you. I love chatting the Oscars with you. The advanced calendar means more time to chat actual individual movies after the Oscars. So when Blockbuster season starts up, we'll have you back on and we'll chat some more. How does that sound?
0: That sounds great, so
1: all right, man. Enjoy the Oscars. You look well. Well, that was a longer episode than anticipated. I feel like I say that virtually every single year before we do the Oscars and after we do the Oscars because this is what the, the year of movies leads to, right? This is the culmination of the whole year, as I said off the beginning of the show. But I hope you enjoyed. I hope you were able to, if you found some of the talk dull or you wanted to skip ahead to the more important awards, I hope you found the, uh, let's say, Table of contents of sorts uh, helpful. We're going to try and do that some more on the show for reviews. I mean, we kind of do that already, right? But we'll do that some more when we have multiple movies on or when we have multiple guests on or when we do the Oscar episodes next year, right? So I hope you enjoyed. I hope you enjoy watching the Oscars. We'll talk about the Oscars next episode. But for now, you have been listening to the Showtime Movie Podcast. As always, thank you so much for listening and engaging. And as always, Have a great night.